Hey, it's Sean here, agency veteran turned business strategist, Forbes business coach, and host of the Growth Code podcast, the place to be if you're looking to grow your agency with more ease and less stress. And I am here today with David and Bashir, also agency veterans, growing their London agency for 14 years to be a leading e-commerce agency and the fastest agency to become an Adobe Gold partner. They're going to be sharing the secret to their success and their experience of achieving an exit. Hey guys, it is so good to have you here. So I just want to dive right in and I want to kick off by asking you a little bit about the history and a little bit about the agency and kind of how that evolved. So tell me, um, when what got you started in your agency? And I'm also interested to know, at what point did you realize that you wanted to exit and how did that kind of come about? Hi, hi, Sean. Thank you for inviting us. Uh, yeah, good question. I guess um, David and I used to be colleagues, used to work together. And uh, eventually we made the decision that, you know what, we would like to work for ourselves. It was more kind of you know, wanting to be entrepreneurial, wanted to start our own business. Um, we were very passionate and excited about sort of the the uh, evolution of e-commerce and t- digital as a, as a whole. And yeah, we dived right in. And uh, 14 years later, um, we have uh, been acquired uh, and exited the agency business. But I guess to answer your question, when did we start considering the exit? It wasn't, it was certainly not in the first uh, or early years. It took a bit of time for us to think, okay, so what's, where does this go? What, what's the next step? And then we started realizing, okay, we really enjoy doing this, uh, and we're not in. We're, you know, we're not thinking about selling. But we, we were getting approached a few times. We were approached by different agencies and and M and A people, and then we started thinking, okay, so for this thing to be valuable, these are the metrics and levers that we need to be considering. And then slowly, slowly, we started working on those. Um, in due course, by then we also had our second business, Prodigy, and we started thinking, okay, we really want to focus on this one as well going forward. And, and that's how things evolved to, to us being ready uh, middle of last year to kind of, uh, you know, close that chapter and, and, and carry on with our, our other business. I love that. And I want to ask you, David, what was it that made you say, yes, I want to be an agency founder and I want to go out and do this thing together? I mean, I think... Um... I've almost had a, had the essence of being an entrepreneur my whole life, uh, from you know running car boot sales and doing all various little startup businesses over the years that, that didn't amount to an awful lot. Um, but I was also mindful that I didn't want to do it on my own, um, and it just happened that, like Bashir mentioned, we were colleagues, we were we were working together, and we both had that entrepreneurial spirit, um, blind confidence as well but also complementary skills. And we had a few walks around Tavistock Square Park and had a bit bit, bit of a back of a cigarette packet business plan. And within a few weeks, we were just out on our own and and trying to make a go of it. Uh, I think it's just also, you know, having that being in control of our own destiny. Um, We were both from a sales, technical sales background as well. So there was never a job security. You know, even if you're doing well, you're only as good as your last month. You've hit your target. Great. You've got to do it again. You've got to do it again. So the fear of going and setting up a new business just really, it wasn't, it was no different to working in, in the sales environment. Yeah. I think when you go out on your own, there's an element of having 
quite thick skin and maybe coming from a place of resilience as well. I think that's a really important value for business owners to have. Um, Well, I I want you to tell me a little bit more about the exit, if, if that's okay. I often speak to business owners and I tell them that unless they have a very strong IP or they have a very strong team that people might be acquiring business for, that there's lots of other things that they have to be able to lean on, whether it's a massive client list with great contracts, strong positioning. You know, so we talk about these kind of levers. But if there are any agency owners who are listening and they're thinking about preparing themselves for an exit, just tell me a little bit about your experience and what things they should focus on and maybe what you might do differently with hindsight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I guess what makes a business valuable differs depending on the suitor and who's buying. So some people might be attracted to your IP, like you said, or you know, to your positioning or to your processes or to your team and people. I guess my advice will be not to focus on that and focus on making a business a great business, focus on all of the foundational stuff that you need to do right, uh, whether it's your, you know, working on your processes, on your positioning, what makes you distinctive, uh, what makes your business sort of thrive and be profitable regardless of the exit. And when all of these things are in place, funny enough, you'll have a lot more options when it comes to suitors and many people would be interested in, 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 in buying you for different reasons. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's also good to think about within, within your ecosystem or within your industry, within your niche, who are your typical suitors and what would they be looking for? Um, so if you're a software company, is your offering sort of complementary to any sort of big players and you see as you see as something that is going to come at a time where they're going to think, you know what, it makes more sense to buy these guys than to go and develop this and wait for another five years to acquire these capabilities or if you're in, a, in an agency, which is typically kind of people-based thing, do you have any sort of differentiators? Are your teams more skilled? Uh, are your uh, margins better than, 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 than um, the, the competition? Or it could be something very different. Like, for example, for us, one of the things that make us really uh, different than many people in our industry is the fact that we build these distributed teams all over the world. Uh, so not only we had, like, really, really skilled people, but... From a cost point of view, we were very competitive, so that gave us massive margins. So not only our suitors were interested in the fact that the business was profitable, they wanted to learn from that model to kind of maybe roll it out on a wider scale within their business. So that you know that made us uh, more uh, a- a- attractive, I guess, for them. So yeah, working on all the foundational stuff, process, people, you know, um, your margins, and then there'll be a lot of options for you to choose from, I guess. Yeah, I agree. But I think one one of the messages as well is not, while you obviously, it's useful to have these things to work towards, these pillars, don't lose sleep over trying to get them all perfect because you're not going to. Um, And kind of saying with what Bashir said, actually thinking about the type of people or uh, acquirers that might you want to be talking to, what do you think is going to be important to them? Um, You know, it might be that, for example, there's a lot of larger requirers that already have a very sol- solid lead generation side. So they're more interested in actually the production and the process or, or vice versa. Um, I mean, making sure you document your process and creating some kind of a playbook 
that was another key one for us along with our distributed team is what how do we deal with these repeating tasks so we reached a point where if a new joiner would come in whether it was a project manager or developer or designer they we literally have a playbook for them within confluence um, part of jira they can sit down and spend a couple of days reading through it obviously forgetting most of it but then there's always something to refer back to you know how what, what's our steps for setting a site live or for migrating a site or um you know for deployments for any of these kind of things uh it, then all of a sudden if someone keep is not there because they're ill or whatever the information is is always there and that that's really really important you are dropping golden nuggets left right and center right now <laughs> and there's so many things i wish i could come back and dig into a whole lot more but the one thing that you've mentioned here about systems and processes you're preaching to the choir because when you're a business owner everything's in your head you know, a lot of the time you end up being the bottleneck. And I see a lot of the time business owners hiring because they think it's going to give them more free time or it's going to take things off their plate. But actually, hiring makes you busier. And I remember in my early agency days, the, the bigger the team got, the more the, the less I was actually getting done. And I would end up having to go home and then start my work. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about this run book and uh, this idea of not being perfect as well. If you had to give people two or three tips for starting that run book or playbook, uh, what would those be? I think the first thing would be, well, choose a choose a platform that you want to use. Um, for us, it was great because we were already using Jira, um, which is one of the more complex project management tools, uh, which is really for, for dev agencies. And it just happens with Jira, they have all these lovely suites of software, one of them being Confluence, which is like a wiki system for building um, interconnected libraries of documentation. You don't have to use that. You can use Google Docs or you know Microsoft Docs or whatever it is. Um, but have thinking about that kind of solution you want to use. And then just start start small because if you, if you can sit down and try and plan everything, your, your brain's going to explode. But pick pick one business area probably the most important or maybe it's something you've done recently and just try and keep refining it down until you can get to one little thing and start with that and try and try ideally have someone accountable or multiple people accountable for helping grow that that knowledge base which is what we did so you know the head of project management was fundamentally responsible for the documentation and he created a plan of every week or every month he was just going to deliver a couple more bits and then all of a sudden after a quarter and two quarters the library's getting bigger and bigger and then it's this constantly living and breathing thing and after a year you might go back to some older stuff and oh no that needs changing but at least you had something in the first place well yeah your processes are not a static thing they need to be constantly evolving you're constantly you know there is, there is always going to be a better way of doing things but at least you have a standard which is okay we know that this works and any improvements when we do retrospectives on projects and whatnot we learn from it and we think okay We've done this better. We've done this differently. What have we learned from this? And then we keep integrating to that process. I guess another step that I'll add on that I think is a, is a very useful one for anybody considering to do this is to take a step back and think about their staff and their people and clearly define their roles and responsibilities. And I know everyone thinks they do this and they probably do in some way or shape, but what you find when you really go into the, the granular level that you find that very important people are doing very menial work or you find like some people like maybe project managers doing a lot of testing or you find like a developer who's doing his own testing when you know maybe you have a QA team that is lower, lower cost to you as an agency 
almost like pound pound tasks, thousand pound tasks, and you know more valuable people or bigger salaries need to be focused their time on on the higher, more you know uh, valuable tasks. So when you do this process, it will become a lot neater and clearer who's supposed to be doing what, and then you document for them those tasks that they need to be doing. So you work it down that way. And obviously, this this is something like David said. It's a breathing thing. You need to constantly review it and think, you know, how can it be improved? But at least you have something that you can keep referring back to and, and, and improving on. Absolutely. I love the idea of starting small. And when clients join my growth code program, I give them actually a run book template, which I use Trello. I love Trello, by the way. It's one of my favorite yes. things. I use it every day in my business. Um, but I want to come back specifically to hiring. And I want to get into the distributed teams in in a moment. But one of the things that I see agencies making the mistake of is they hire people when they don't have these documented systems and processes. You end up with what I call tribal training. You kind of give people on-the-job training and it's done by this person and that person and this person. So what tends to happen is you've got a new person who's picking up everybody else's bad habits and picking up everybody else's, you know, naughty things or shortcuts. So I think this idea of having systems and processes for onboarding staff would be the place to start. Uh, and also the other thing that I would add is every time you find yourself doing something twice, that's when I just grab a Trello card or a Google Doc and I'll just write down the process because then it's done and you can just start small. It doesn't have to be perfect. Um, so I love I love that. Exactly. So let's let's talk about distributed teams. And now one of the questions I get asked a lot by agency businesses and clients is about hiring. And it's this chicken and egg conversation. You know, should we hire ahead of the curve? Should we hire behind the curve? And my answer is always, if you really back yourself at converting, at getting leads and converting leads into sales, then hire in front of the curve hire people and then fill up the pipeline. But that's not always practical, especially with a lot of creative, creative entrepreneurs. Sales is, it's a very prickly subject. <laughs> so talk to me about, it is, it's unpredictable. And, you know, we're in a bear market. Things are uncertain at the moment. So there's always that concern as well, that, that you know, scarcity mindset kind of creeps in. So talk to me about how you guys created this way of growing teams, growing distributed teams, and how that was your superpower. Okay. Um, I guess I, I listened to the point that you mentioned about kind of sales being unpredictable and hiring before you win business or not. The whole kind of agency model is always, you know, for a lot of people is the feast and famine. Obviously, there are some people who are more retainer-based and it's much more predictable and linear, but... Even in, in those cases, you might land five or six retainer clients in one go. And then, you know, you, you're not always getting the same sort of level of growth consistently throughout the year. So you're going to have to kind of make some decisions on your hiring and forecasting it is notoriously a difficult thing to do, of course. But not doing it at all uh, leaves you open to rush hires, which is one of the worst things you could do as an agency owner because, you know, you landed this yes. client or you lost somebody and then you end up thinking, okay, uh, I have to find somebody in the next two, three, four weeks. Uh, sometimes I've seen people who need somebody within a, a week or two. So suddenly they can't mm -hmm. consider anybody who has a notice period. They literally need people who are out there not working at the moment. So not to say anything, you know, people's circumstances are different, but that 
typically you'll end up with people in a certain pool that are maybe not as desirable as people who are <laughs> already in jobs and have had too much notice. So I guess the advice is try to do an exercise where you think, okay, based on previous years, based on my marketing, am I doing enough marketing to kind of and lead gen and what sort of conversion rates am I getting? Surely you'll be able to forecast some level of, of your people needs over the next I don't know, three months, six months minimum, preferably a year plus, and then start thinking, okay, how am I going to structure my teams? Am I going to keep on the, the same structure that I have? Am I hire? Am I going to hire seniors uh, ready to do the job and you know experts in their field, or am I going to do a hybrid sort of uh, approach whereby I'm going to invest in getting more junior uh, talents that I'm going to train. And, and I can get them in the next six months to a year to be at this level, and I'm going to take the hit on them. So there's a lot of ways to look at this, and there's a lot of creative ways to build really good teams. Uh, but what they all have in common is is for you to take the time ahead of time and to plan and to forecast and try to map your talent needs over the next, you know, I don't know, six months, a year, ideally. I think that's such a good point. And that feast and famine roller coaster is the pain of that is still very, <laughs> very real to me. And I love that thing about hiring slowly because, excuse my French, but I always say to people, I would rather have a hole than an asshole because it's really hard to get one. people in. <laughs> it's really hard to get people in. And, you know, agencies are often very close-knit and there's often, a, you know, a culture. And so when you just bring people in willy-nilly and you haven't taken that time, it, it can be really disruptive. And likewise, when you have people come in and they have to leave, it's also disruptive. You have to explain that to clients and you have to, you know, kind of work around it. So what's the alternative? Talk to me about distributed teams. Well, the alternative is when you're looking at a larger talent pool, uh, do you have more choice? So, you know, the challenge that we faced when we were in central London and we weren't the biggest agency around with the deepest pockets, we were competing with everybody around, you know, within a one or two mile radius. Um, there was lots and lots of agencies, lots and lots of demand, and there were near enough, um, nowhere near enough people. But that problem isn't just in London. It's all over, it's all over the UK. And really, it's in every major city around, around the world. If you start looking at a broader talent pool, then there's more... Uh, fish um to, so to speak but what it means is not only can you shorten those hiring those hiring times because you're looking at there's more people to choose from actually the average quality goes up as well um you're not in a position like what Bashir was mentioning about how you know you literally have to take the best of the options and none of them are seemingly great all of a sudden it's like you can take the the cream of the crop from from around the world um, and really, and really, that's what we do. And that really feeds into quite a competitive advantage because you can upscale quite quickly, and you can upscale the talent that you might not have access to right now. Totally, totally. I mean, what David just said, and to be honest with you, this is what David just mentioned is an actual luxury because you're thinking, okay, I have some options here and I have some options there. But the reality is, we have a massive. Uh, shortage of skills in the in, in the in the tech talent sector. Uh, so in many cases, like we have nobody. I've spoken to many agency owners who are looking for all sorts of, especially highly skilled kind of positions. You know, data scientists, specialists in you know VR or you know whatever. And 
they say, actually, I have a vacancy for the last three months, five months. They could have you know, been you know, billion members of staff that they don't have. It's an empty seat. So it's not always the luxury of thinking, okay, I have the choice between this and this. It's like, you know, can we just get the right people for my business to grow and to deliver, you know, in many cases, solutions or, 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 or work that has actually been agreed with, with customers? So, yeah, um, looking at uh, – and many agencies have done it before. It's just that many people haven't gone into it in a more structured uh, manner of thinking, you know what, this is not a last resort. This is not a last option when I'm, you know, my back is against the wall. I'm actually thinking global when I'm hiring. Uh, and this is part of my strategy as a business. And this is what, you know, hopefully we're helping a lot of people with and, and get their heads around how to do it, how to do it right. Now, I imagine that you guys get quite a fair few of objections. You know, people saying, oh, no, we only want to hire in the UK. We only want to have in-house people so we can control the quality. I'm sure you've heard lots of objections like that because I've certainly heard them from my clients. But what would you say to those objections? We, we, we actually, funny enough, less and less. So since COVID, I mean, show me one agency where people are going to offices every day. I there might, there might be some out there, but they're very rare. Um, and people who are really not in the mindset of, you know, looking for this, you know, it's very hard to kind of deal. If somebody wants to have their staff in the same room, you know, what I say to them is, are you going to monitor them every day, seeing what they're, what they're doing on their screens? No, the answer is not. You know, you have to be able to, if you're going to scale your agency or your business to any meaningful level, you need to learn how to manage without looking behind people's backs. You need to, you know, you need to learn how to manage based on outputs, based on deliverables. And, and doing that, whether somebody is sitting in the other room or sitting in the other town or sitting in another country, it doesn't matter. Uh, most important thing to measure is the output. Are your customers delighted? By, by whatever the service your, your staff are offering. Uh, the rest is, is, is literally, you know, just, just details that, that are neither here or there. But yeah, I mean, we, we, surprisingly, we don't, we don't spend our days dealing with objections like, oh, please don't worry about hiring people. But the majority of people, they know it, they've done it. Uh, I think we have more, uh, the majority of our clients are people who want to do it and just they want to do it well, as opposed to kind of just go to any sort of old marketplace and trying to find the, the, the first person they need they want to find they want to come to a partner like us who are good at finding people that they need and assessing them right and making sure that they, they're good fit for their businesses this is like the sweet spot or the majority of, of the audience we talk to yeah i mean there's the, probably the one thing that does come up um the most frequently is is around languages around english proficiency um which is it's, it's a reasonable concern if you're thinking about hiring potentially non non native speakers, but the reality is is very unreasonable because the the English standards of the people in the markets that we deal with is incredibly high. Um, when you're looking at most of these Eastern European countries, the general standard is about sixty percent of the population have a have a strong level of English, which is actually higher than places like France and Spain and Italy. Um, and then when you actually drill down into the professions, the the standard is much higher. So the the vocabulary is incredibly strong. The grammar is incredibly strong. And in a lot of cases, it's actually better than native English people. Um, the, yeah, it's, it's very, very, it's very, very good. Um, we it's, had, we had yeah. English speaking, um, we had a client facing, uh, a whole offshore, a whole client facing team was offshore and 
yeah, our clients, our clients are very, very happy. And obviously, if you're in an international city like London or anywhere like that, it's full of people from all over the world. So it's kind of what people are used to anyway. Yeah. yeah, I live in Portugal. I live in Lisbon. And I have to say my Portuguese is terrible, but I'm always so impressed and sometimes a bit embarrassed at how good everyone's English is. And yeah. uh, I do my best, <laughs> but everyone speaks English, so it's quite hard to learn, actually. Well, the lovely, the lovely thing as well is... Yeah, and, and the lovely thing is every, every single person, and I'm not exaggerating, every single person that we speak to, um, whether they're developers, project managers, they're so, and they're fluent in English, but they, they're so humble and modest. And when we tell them that, you know, your, your English is great, you're fluent, they're like, oh, no, they're like, no, honestly, it's, it's, you, you may not have ever been told this, but you are, you are fluent in English. And they, um, yeah, they're quite surprised to hear that. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I want to, kind of come back to talking about agency life and I'm going to ask you guys a question off the cuff David I'm going to come to you first if you were to look back at your time as an agency owner hashtag agency life and you would give one piece of advice to an agency owner today what would that advice be Uh, that's a good that's a good question I think um I think I'll probably go back to the process. I think really start documenting your process as soon as, as soon as is physically possible, because don't wait for the perfect time. Don't wait to think, Oh, well, when we're there, we'll be a bit better. And then we can start writing things down. It's always, it's always going to evolve. You never, you're never going to reach a point where it's like, okay, that's all set because there's too many moving parts. There's too many variables, the technology you work with, the level of clients you work with, all the rest of it. But the sooner you can do that, then the easier it is to manage remote teams, to um, onboard people, you know, because you're not relying on people. You've got the documented process that they can come in and uh, and hit the ground running. I love that. But she, I'm going to give you the same question. I'm not going to be mean and end it up. Uh, same question. What piece of advice would you give to agency owners listening today? Yeah, I guess it depends what level or what stage they are in their maturity as an agency owner. But I think this one is is good for all uh, levels. Be a specialist. Don't be a jack of all trades, master of none, uh, which is something that a lot of agency owners end up kind of, you know, getting opportunities that are a little bit outside of their uh, strength uh, or, or their speciality. And they'll take the work because obviously, you know, uh, we talked about earlier, everyone want to kind of you know grab revenue and grow, but it's not, you know, in the long term, being a specialist will definitely pay a lot more dividends. Get known for what you're good at uh, and and specializing in, you know, double down on your strength as opposed to kind of do a little bit of everything. I guess that's, that's the one thing that I'd advise um, agency owners. I love that. And, you know, we talk about niche and I always say, you don't have to niche by industry. You can also niche by the services you're providing or niche by the platform that you're using or the things that you do. So when you carve out that niche and that specialism, you can charge a lot more, which again, is one of those things that helps you with your multiple. If you do come to exit and and you want to have a successful exit and get the best that you can. I love this. Um, you can also help with your branding and with your positioning and you know, be more distinctive and to get more known in your area. Uh, it's much easier when you have one thing that you're very good at, I guess. Absolutely. I mean, there's more than 35,000 agencies roughly in the UK alone. So you've got to stand out of that sea and, and uh, be unique. Although I hate using yeah, that just word. Just tie it with that. 
Yeah. You go go and spend an afternoon and your your eyes will pop out of your head. But go review, even not an afternoon, go and pick 50 agency websites and look at all of the repetitive stuff and then revisit your own site and take it all out, you know, award-winning, um, working with ambitious brands, all of these cliches, and you think, oh, this sounds really, really good. And it's like everyone does it and it doesn't mean anything. Uh, that's a little <laughs> exercise that would pay pay off pretty quickly. <laughs> I love this. I do feel like we could speak for hours, but what I want to ask you guys before we start wrapping up is talk to me a little bit about Prodigy and how are you working with agencies and businesses at the moment? And if somebody's looking to work with you, how can you help them? Okay. So uh, Prodigy is a uh, is a company that specializes specializes in uh, helping companies build distributed teams uh, ultimately. Uh, only in the te- we only work in the tech uh, with tech talent. Um, so, any company in the tech sector looking for uh, tech talent from around the world, looking for distributed teams, looking to hire uh, better, quicker, and more cost effectively, this is what we specialize on. So, we have clients at multiple ends of the spe- spectrum, uh, larger agencies that come to us to help them build hubs in certain places in certain locations around the world and you know we, we can consult and advise them on where and how to do it and you know build large teams and we have smaller and medium uh, customers who need you know that one difficult vacancy to fill or maybe one or two or three every three months to two months so we have a very very wide variety and anything from you know developers projects managers uh, a lot of seo and online marketers yeah anything all the typical stuff you find in an, in an agency in the tech sector in the UK, we help find really, really good talent um, quickly and cost-effectively. Brilliant. Yeah, absolutely. I think the big thing as well is, because we've actually done it, um, you know, we've built our own teams over 14 years. We've we've got the wounds uh, and the scars to show for it, but we 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 can just do it better because we know we have a, our own process that we've documented. We know how to better assess people. We know how better to match the right kind of person for the right job. There's so much more subtlety that you'll find. Like someone might be looking for a React developer, but then actually when you dig a little bit deeper, you'll see that they have such a very specific requirement, um, maybe around the, the financial service experience or the platform experience that frankly recruiters that, that don't have that experience they just won't know to ask the question it doesn't it won't mean anything no. to them so we're very good at getting it right first time when we bring um, candidates to our clients they're they're very happy that we've actually uh listened to the brief as opposed to just going well this guy's got this skill he must be right for you which is just not the case yeah. and it's hugely time consuming building teams so i'm sure that you guys are helping yeah. agencies collapse time and get to grow their teams bigger so they can focus on what they want to do best, which is service clients. So that's um, that's fantastic. The website yeah. is prodigy.team. I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Well, we're coming to the end. I think that we've lost Bashir, but um, oh, no, I just want to say... <laughs> I just want to say thank you guys so much for for coming on here. Uh, You've dropped so many golden nuggets for agency owners. So I can't wait to share this and uh, share your details in the podcast and look forward to speaking to you again soon. High five. Thank you for listening to the Growth Code podcast with me, Sean Lennigan. If you're ready to crack the growth code for your agency or consultancy business, 
Then DM me on social media, the word growth, or email hello at workwithshawn.co.uk. Let's see how I can help you navigate this wonderful, crazy journey of being a business owner and pave your path to permanent profits.